Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. The Premier League and European club competitions may be over, but that doesn't mean football has came to a stop. We're just nine days away from the start of Euro 2020, albeit a year late, and we now know the 26-man squad that have been trusted to bring football home when the tournament kicks off next Friday. We'll be discussing Gareth Southgate's decisions on who to take and who to axe, as well as the never-ending football calendar which continues tonight as England take on Austria in Middlesbrough. As well as all that, we'll be trying to get our heads around the managerial merry-go-round that's happening across Europe right now, with Carlo Ancelotti ditching Everton for Real Madrid yesterday. Although somehow we doubt Zinedine Zidane is up for the swap with Ancelotti and heading to England to manage Alex Iwobi at Finch Farm. To go through all that with me, Marley Anderson, it's Niall McCorn and Ian Brannan. How are you guys on this fine sunny sunny Wednesday morning in England, Niall? Are you as sunburnt as I am? I was over the weekend, to be fair. I actually managed to do something that uh, not a lot of people have been able to do for a long time. I went on a stag do at the weekend, Marley. Can you believe <laughs> did it? Did you? I did, yeah. But it wasn't like abroad. Uh, we were supposed to go to Slovakia last year. Um, Bratislava, going to be a really oh. nice country, really nice I city. Did. Yeah, um, I was really looking forward to it. And obviously coronavirus reared its ugly head and that got cancelled. And then it got rearranged last summer for Bournemouth and then the restrictions came in again. So that got cancelled. So now uh, the organiser of the Stag 2 decided that he was just going to do like a camp out in a field near a pub. And it was absolutely amazing. But obviously I wasn't planning on sitting outside in the sun <laughs> in 25 degree heat for, for three days and ended up getting burnt to a crisp. So uh, I am a little bit red, to be fair, but I think I'm just about getting over it. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Bournemouth to uh, Bratislava to Bournemouth and then to a field is quite the uh, quite the journey, <laughs> to be honest. And I went on a stag do in Slovakia, in Bratislava, about about five years ago. It was the first one I'd ever been on. Um, and the best thing about it, there was this, um, there was a, a, a club for a certain type of uh, gentleman, um, and its name was <laughs> Boobies. It was brilliant. <laughs> And it did what it said on the tin, but anyway, uh, swiftly, swiftly moving on from that. Ian, how are you? Are you are you burnt in this horrible, amazing sun that we've got right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, my location being where I am on the east coast in Sunderland, we've been sitting in sea fret for uh, about three days and uh, seeing all these pictures of people out having barbecues, chilling out on their sun lounges, sweating away, and uh, literally it's like 10 degrees outside and foggy. Uh, but today the sun <laughs> has arrived. However, it's weird because I'm right on the cusp of it, so literally a mile down the road, and, and you do have the sunny weather. And I, I was out there for about an hour uh, on, on bank holiday Monday, and um, yeah, but my face yesterday was like a beetroot, so I've been sat in the dark since then <laughs> to try and balance it out, but that's just uh, just the risks, isn't it? You know, you live in the, in the northeast and the sun comes out, and you know what it's like, you just... <laughs> It's unbelievable. Did you have a face like Big Sam? <laughs> not quite that red. Not like a, if, if, if I'd drunk a bit more red wine, perhaps, but uh, yeah, not far away. Honestly, I think I was uh, I was in the pub for a couple of hours on on Saturday, and I came in, 
Um, and I decided to wear a vest, and now I'm still wearing the vest, except the vest is just my white skin <laughs> and my bright red shoulders. So it's it's the clearest <laughs> thing ever. I look like a look like a custom football kit on uh, Prevo when the when the arms <laughs> when the arms are red and the uh, the body's white. But anyway, let's uh, let's talk about football. Shows uh, people are listening and thinking, what the hell are these idiots talking about? It's a Wednesday. It always goes a bit awry on a Wednesday, as Ian will know. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's swing this back to what's going on in the football world. And the main thing is yesterday's England squad announcement. And it was all all talk about who were going to be the unfortunate seven. Uh, as it turned out, it ended up being uh, Aaron Ramsdale, Ben Godfrey, Ben White. Bad day if you're a Ben, I suppose. Um, James Ward-Prowse, Mason Greenwood, Ollie Watkins, and is that it? Have I missed? Have I missed someone? Was it? Oh, Lingard, Jesse Lingard as well. Yeah. So, um, firstly, Niall, are we? in agreement that they're the right seven to be cut as he got the balance right because he has took all all four right backs so what what are your thoughts on the on the seven that got cut yeah that's the big debate isn't it about the about the right backs and you know I, I think it's really interesting because Gareth Southgate actually said yesterday he said I've picked the 26 best footballers in the country so actually it's not he's picked <laughs> the right amount of each position he's just in his <laughs> mind picked the 26 best footballers in England at the moment, um, which I thought was also interesting because I think Jesse Lingard will probably be in that category in terms of form. And we always heard Gareth Southgate around the World Cup saying that he would only pick players on form. I mean, I think it's probably not a surprise that some of the players that have been cut, Ramsdale, I was stunned that he even got called up anyway. Um, I was really surprised, obviously. Uh, He's been dropped the defenders that came in, Ben White, Ben Godfrey, it was kind of their maiden call-ups, I suppose, or the first time they've kind of been on the periphery of the England squad. So no real shocks there. The one that I'm seeing a lot of debate around is James Ward-Prowse and the fact that he's been dropped from the squad. Now, obviously, he's an exceptional set-piece taker and probably one of the best, if not the best in the Premier League in terms of the st- statistics for taking set-pieces. However, I feel like there's some anti-Southampton coming here. <laughs> I was going to say this is quite positive but, for, uh, but, for, for a Portsmouth fan. It is. Fan. You've, got to, you've got to hold your hands up and say the lad knows how to take a free kick, right? And, Go on, bring it on. You know, in a, in a major tournament, you do need someone who can take set pieces. But I think England do have enough set piece takers to nullify that argument of him going. I just don't think he offers enough elsewhere. And, and you're looking at a team in Leeds United who have got Calvin Phillips who have exceeded expectations this season Southampton have been poor on the whole this season and it just goes to show that actually if you end the season poorly you might not get in Danny Ings was a shoe-in before Christmas and now he's nowhere to be seen he's not even in the squad he didn't even make the 30-man squad so you know if you're talking about players that are being cut out on on form Maybe that's a fair assessment. I don't like the comparisons of James Ward-Prowse and Steven Gerrard. I mean, they're just ridiculous. I'm seeing on social media. Um, what? Where yeah, I've seen a few of them, uh, sort of disgruntled fans you trying need to, to... You need to stay off the James Ward-Prowse fan page. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. I think they're being retweeted by some uh, uh, humoured Portsmouth fans, uh, actually, to be fair. But um, I think on the whole, the seven players that have been cut, I don't think there's too many complaints. But again, Marley, like, like we discussed before... And on previous podcasts, it's more about this right-back debate, which seems to be where the majority of the debate is coming from. In terms of who's been cut out of the side, I don't think there's there's any real shocks there. Probably Lingard. Although, I think Southgate is keeping them in and amongst it until the pre-tournament sort of pre friendlies are over, which some are concerned about. Not concerned about, but some are confused by, because you know it says a lot about those players that they still want to stick around and muck in and help out playing for their country in a pre-tournament friendly when they're not even going to be going to the tournament rather than, you know, sliding off on their holidays early. So, yeah, as for the seven, not I'm not too I'm not disappointed that anyone's been cut out of that group, let's just say. Yeah, well, I think I think it might be different if uh, if the world was open as normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I was like, do you want to stick around and go to Middlesbrough or do you want to just jet off to, you know, the south of France or something? I'd be like, yeah, see you later. But everyone's sticking yeah, around. Palmo's all round. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, imagine, imagine. There's no better way to finish a season than a big fat Palmo and putting on a stone after you've <laughs> it. That's it. Um, Red car beach. What more do you want? <laughs> yeah, the tropics of Middlesbrough. Eh? Uh, Ian, are you in agreement with Niall? Do you think that the seven pretty much picked themselves uh, to be cut? 
Yeah, we, we talked about this last week when they'd announced the, the 30-odd players that were in the um, original um, extended squad. And, and I think we probably picked most of the ones um, there, you know, the newcomers uh, missing out. And the only question marks really are, you know, this is the this is his squad, but it is still flexible right until the tournament starts because of uh, the COVID flexibility. So if anything happens there, uh, there is still the, the possibility for some of these guys that have missed out currently to be recalled at the last minute. I don't think the final cutoff is until just before the tournament begins. So that's probably why a few of them are still hanging around just in case. There are fitness outs clearly over um, over Henderson and uh, Grealish is not match fit at the moment. He's certainly a doubt for the match tonight. And Jaden Sancho also a doubt because of uh, fitness concerns. So there are three players there who, you know, come the actual tournament. And, and Harry Maguire obviously is, uh, is is definitely out. So there's, there's well, four players there who, who might not be 100% come the, the start of the tournament. We don't exactly know yet. And that could be uh, an issue that, um, that that needs looking at and maybe there might be a last-minute tweak. We don't know. Clearly, um, Gareth Southgate is hopeful that these players are going to make it, that they have a chance because otherwise they would surely be dropped now if, if they weren't going to make the, the tournament. Um, and, yeah, that would be my only question, really, rather than the ones that have been left out. It's the ones that are in that are maybe not 100% fit. <laughs> so, I agree. Uh, I totally agree with that, Ian. And, and I was thinking about this last night. I thought I could count five or six players that are not fully fit. I mean, Marcus Rashford, you could add to that list. There's a few queries around Dominic Calvert-Lewin because obviously he was uh, injured for the fair majority of the the second part of the season or at least the last couple of months. And Grealish, as you say, apart from the final two games of the season, he missed the 12 games before that. So Mason Greenwood as well, he's already been sent home. Mm -hmm. Um, Manchester United have said that they don't want him to go because he's got a niggling injury that he needs to recover from so actually I think it's a really good point that there are probably of the 26 players that have been chosen by Gareth Southgate a fair chunk of them are either carrying knocks visibly like Harry Maguire or aren't 100% match fit which may raise a few concerns yeah, I would, I'd agree with that. I think Jordan Henderson as well hasn't played for about six months and he's he's still going. I, I think it's going to take him three or four games to get back to fitness. But you know, it's a it's a weird balance that they've got to strike. But talking about balance, and I think Ian mentioned it there, the four right backs. I mean, it's I don't know whether you two agree, but it seems to me like he's tried to just not annoy anyone by taking all four of them, um, and he's thought. I can't drop Trent because there'll be too much outcry and it's too easy a, a thing to point out when England ultimately go out. Um, and he's thought, oh, Trippier's won won the league and James has won the Champions League and Walker's won the Premier League. It's it's an embarrassment of riches, to be honest. But I don't know, Niall, do you think he should have just took two or possibly three if as hard as the, the decision might have been? As England supporters, we always debate about our strongest areas and never our weakest areas. We're always talking about four right backs. Oh, that's too many. Someone needs to be axed rather than we're looking a bit light at centre back. And I'm sure we'll come on to it. Maybe we don't have enough strikers in the squad. You know, so I, I just thought that was an interesting sort of narrative in terms of the way we discuss the England squad um, as supporters. Well, are we, are we, are we not talking about... We've got too many right backs, therefore we should have more centre backs. Yeah, you know, we're not saying Trippier shouldn't shouldn't go, for example, because Ben Godfrey should well, go as as the fourth centre back think or something like that. On that, I like all of them, and you know we ranked them, didn't we, on the Sports Social Twitter page? Myself, you, and yeah. uh, Jim, we we all ranked our sort of four right backs in order, and I put James at the bottom of the list, and that doesn't mean he's a terrible player. It's kind of a weird thing where you see someone think, oh, he's fourth best. That doesn't mean he's a shocking player. He's fourth best and he could still do a very, very good job on his day. And I think that actually, if I was thinking about this in a little bit more detail, the two players that Southgate would have been better off dropping are Trent Alexander-Arnold and Kyle Walker for the simple reason of he's dropped them before. He didn't include Trent in his most recent squad before this back in March for those internationals. So therefore, he kind of had a reason to leave Trent out again. Despite his end of season form, he had a reason to leave him out because he didn't make the last squad. And therefore, you've got this kind of thread there, which is, oh, Southgate doesn't fancy him. And much like a couple of years ago, the same thing happened to Kyle Walker. 
he was being left out by Gareth Southgate on a regular basis. I think there was a period of 18 months where Kyle Walker wasn't called up for an England squad. So actually, if you're talking about precedent, Southgate has previous with those two players and possibly could have left them out and therefore might have been able to get away with it as an excuse. But I do think that you've got a point there. I do think that, you know, if you leave any of those players out, you're going to get pelters and maybe he has taken the easy option because it's hard to see... Apart from Alexander-Arnold, who could play in midfield, it's hard to see where else those other players go, really. Because obviously on the left side, you've got Chilwell and Shaw. And I guess Reese James could do a job on the other side as well. But apart from that, I mean, you, you play in however many games with four right-backs. Exactly the question that you've just asked, how do they all fit in? But that's the reason he's he's the manager of England and we're here talking about it. He must have a plan because if he doesn't, he's going to he's gonna get unstuck. And if England don't do well, everyone will point at that. He took four right back, you know, when we ended up, you know, not scoring enough goals or whatever because Harry Kane gets a knock and Calvert-Lewin isn't scoring or whatever. You know, you can just foresee it, can't you? You can visualise it. Something happens and everyone points the finger at that and says, well, he should never have taken four right backs. So I hope he's got a plan because he's going to need it if things go belly up. Yeah, well, thinking about it, I, th- I think his plan, I think the only reason you take four is if you're going to play two in the same team. And that would suggest to me, as long uh, as well as the lack of centre-backs, you know, only three specialised centre-backs in the squad, I think he's he's going for, uh, oh, sorry, four with Mings as well. Um, I think he's going for a back three again with Kyle Walker playing right centre back. And I don't know. Yeah. I I was looking into this yesterday, and I've I I don't I hate this narrative that Kyle Walker can play centre back because he's just because he's played there before for England. Like he's, I looked at his stats last night. He's played there nineteen times in his entire career. His career spans nearly six hundred games. And he's played there 19 times. That's less than half a season at right back at uh, centre back. And I know it's like right sided centre back. It's kind of a hybrid between centre back and right back, and you can use his pace and whatever. But he's only ever played there five times for Man City or any club, sorry. And he's played there 13 times, I think it is, or 14 for for England. Um, I think most of that was. I think he played eight of those in the build up to the World Cup. Uh, I think in three three um, warm up games. And then uh, the five or six tournament games we had, um, and then there was this thing of oh well, Kyle Walker can play centre back, and it's like he he was poor in that World Cup at centre back. He didn't look like he knew what he knew what he was doing. And that's not that's nothing against him. He was learning the position in the the biggest tournament in the world. But I think that's why he's brought Cody as well, Marley, because Cody pretty much exclusively plays in a back three for Wolves, and Wolves have been rubbish this that's season. What I mean. They've been shocking. But the only reason Cody is going is because he can play in a back three, and he knows that system. He's drilled in that system week in, week out. Obviously, Nuno Santos moving on now, but he's played in that system for Wolves for the last five or six seasons or whatever it is. So he's kind of well drilled in it. So that's the only reason I could think of him bringing Connor Cody. Uh, and I think you're right. I think there is a case for the back three system because am I right in thinking they played it in the World Cup and obviously that worked pretty well. So yeah, you know, maybe he's is, just sticking to what he knows. They played it in the World Cup and then they've never played it since, really. They've gone to a back four and, and tried to get the best out the the front end of the pitch, which is, in you know, you look at the attacking options we've got and Jesus Christ, that's an embarrassment of riches. But what do you think, Ian? Do you think uh, it's going to be... A back three, and we're going to try and win every game from right back, <laughs> or are we gonna, or are we gonna just chuck it in towards Kane and, and see what happens? Yeah, um, I think somewhere between the two, to be honest. But looking at what Gareth Southgate said, because he's been asked obviously this question, you, do you realise you've got loads of right backs in your team? Um, and he 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 does he does realise he's thinking of Alexander Arnold as a bit more of a versatile player, and he doesn't want to pigeonhole him as as, as a right back. I think he sees him um, maybe being used further forward, maybe more like a defensive midfielder, depending on the situation. And uh, and yes, and just a player that you can use anywhere really, and and um, has, has been proved to be fairly handy sometimes with with set pieces and, and things like that as well. And he's pointed out that actually a number of the um, players, James Walker and Trippier, have also 
played in in different positions in the past, and I think he's he's trying to get um, the the best bang for his buck. I think is is the best way of putting it. In that he wants players that might be able to play in in, in different positions, play different systems, rather than have somebody who's a pigeonhole classic right back and can't do anything else. He wants to have that versatility um, throughout the team, um, and 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 that way sort of feel that he's taking more players than he actually is. Um, I think that's the justification for it. Um, we'll, we'll maybe get an idea of, of the formation tonight when um, they play against um, Austria in Middlesbrough, but it won't obviously be the, the, the team that's going to start because many of them are going to be sitting it out this evening. It's going to be a bit of a, a second string, I think, for uh, for England this evening. So not too much is going to be given away tonight, but I think we might get an idea of the system because I'm, I'm surely the system is um, is something that goes through um, you know the, the squad, if you know what I mean. Regardless of, of whether you're, you're you're a starter or, or not, the, the actual system is is surely the thing that they're going to be working on. So we might get an idea tonight. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens uh, tonight, but uh, and we'll see what happens on June the thirteenth when England play their first game. It's a week on Sunday uh, against Croatia. So uh, the team that ended England's World Cup chances two well three years ago now wasn't it in the semi-finals uh, we'll see if there's any revenge to be had when the tournament kicks off uh, on the 11th which is next Friday I think it is um, so yeah we'll see we'll see what happens but we'll see if England can get the uh, four right backs clicking perfectly and maybe maybe Southgate's going to come up with this system where you know f- full backs just become the most expensive players in the world because the more you play the more you have the more uh, success you'll have, but we'll have to wait and see until Euro 20. Sorry, I was going to say, the, the other thing that, that is interesting, there's clearly a couple of players in there who don't play in, in the Premier League that we don't see very often, like Trippier and um, uh, Sancho and so on, who who we, we're not really fully aware of how, they, how they're going to adapt into that team unless you've been watching them in those leagues. But obviously Trippier's had a good season uh with with Atletico and um it'd be interesting to see how he slots in because I think we come we become used to to watching match of the day and and, and knowing what we know of the top four and, and that being it and obviously there is a world out there so it's going to be interesting to see how they all gel together. I'll tell you what all I would say on that is uh, there's a hell of a difference between being managed by Diego Simeone for 38 games and then coming to a, a tournament managed by Gareth Southgate <laughs> but We'll see what happens when the tournament kicks off, but we'll wrap it up there for uh, part one of the Football Social Daily podcast. Uh, We'll be back talking managerial sackings and merry-go-rounds in part two. Join us shortly. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It's me, your host, Marley Anderson, on this Wednesday morning in sunny England. Hope it's sunny where you are. Uh, We're all sunburnt and looking for the sun in uh, in Ian's case. but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna move on to this weird situation um, at the minute, where every manager seems to be looking for a job or trying to leave um, around around Europe right now. Um, Carlo Ancelotti was the latest. We only heard this sort of yesterday morning in terms of of the press talking about Carlo Ancelotti could be going back to Real Madrid. Um, and by I think it was about seven o'clock, Carlo Ancelotti himself was tweeting "Hala Madrid" on his on his Twitter account, which was. Uh, Proof that it's all done and dusted, and Ancelotti has upped sticks and left Birkenhead to go to the Bernabeu, um, and yeah, he's he's back at Real Madrid. So, firstly, I know Everton fans are annoyed um, about this, Niall, but can you really blame Carlo Ancelotti at sixty-one years old to for going back and and saying, you know, sorry about the project, but Real Madrid have came calling. Yeah, I said this on my Twitter yesterday. I said Everton to Real Madrid should never really be a surprise. But for some reason, in this case, it is a bit. Um, I'm not sure whether it's because it did feel like Carlo Ancelotti was like one of the key pieces in a in a puzzle of a project that they're trying to build over there at Everton. And now, no, that huge puzzle piece has been pulled out. And there's a big hole there that they need to fill and they need to find the right shape piece to replace him with. It felt like this season, Everton, if they had finished in Europe, they would have had a better chance of keeping him. He signed a four and a half year contract in December 2019 and he's gone. So, I mean, it just goes to show the pulling power of Real Madrid. He's managed Real Madrid before he won a Champions League with them in 2014. So I think certainly he's fondly thought of there, even though they're kind of similar to Chelsea, aren't they, Real Madrid, in that if you don't do well for half a season, you're out the door. So... Yeah, I mean, going back to to Real Madrid, it's no real shock, but at the same time it is. And it's never nice as a supporter of a football club to feel that your club's being used as a stepping stone to bigger things. 
particularly when Everton are on the periphery. They're on the cusp of being one of these sort of big six clubs. They want to try and turn the big six into a big eight, of which they would be one of them. And it's never nice to feel used do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> in that way. And I'm sure that Everton fans feel similar uh, about that. I thought that Everton should have had a contingency plan for this. And I hope they probably do because there's always a chance when you attract a manager of the calibre of Carlo Ancelotti, who's won, you know, 15 major trophies in multiple top clubs around Europe, Chelsea, AC Milan, Real Madrid, etc., the fact he pitched up at Everton, there were a few eyebrows raised and I was would be hoping that Everton and the hierarchy there had a contingency plan in place because they must have known, unless they were, you know, kidding themselves with, you know, delusions of grandeur that a manager of that calibre with that CV would surely be poached when one of the big, big clubs in Europe had a vacancy coming up. So I hope that they do have a plan and obviously this opens up questions about who the replacement should be but we'll come on to that in a sec I'm sure but the best thing I saw and Ian would like this because this is a good old stat the last four Premier League managers to finish 10th in the top flight three of them have gone on to manage Real Madrid or Barcelona and the only one that hasn't (laughs) the only one that hasn't is Sean Dyche (laughs) so maybe he's uh maybe he's next on the list to go over to the La Liga but yeah uh, I'm surprised, but at the same time, I probably shouldn't be because he's a top quality manager and Real Madrid are one of the biggest clubs on planet Earth. So disappointing for Everton, but it's about finding someone who can fit that project now and isn't going to have their head turned at something slightly more attractive. Ian, do you think, um, you know, I've, I don't know whether you've seen this as well, but I've seen a lot of Everton fans going, Meh, well, he only finished 10th. Um <laughs> And kind of saying, "Ah, oh, well, we're not that bothered as long as we get someone in that's that's right and can take the club on." Do you think? For me, I, I just don't think Everton fans have have realised how good he was. Even though I don't think you can do the job Everton are trying to do in one season. So I don't know whether you agree, but do you think that it's it's something that they just needed to give more time? Yeah, I think time is is a you know a key. Uh, thing in in any job you need time to get it right you need time to work it out you can't change your squad radically and have it all gel together in the space of a year and you look at any team that has success there's always like two or three years of it sort of bubbling away and, and doing all right but then all of a sudden it clicks together and it comes through consistency and that is the same for any job you don't you don't have to be the greatest all the time you know, you don't have to be a genius or a mastermind all the time. You just have to be pretty consistent with what what it is that you're doing, have the same message, have the same system, and have a reasonably stable uh, group of people around you, both uh, you know your backroom staff and, and your players. And eventually, they get it. If you're a decent coach, you guide them to the system that you want to play, and eventually it starts to work. Um and for example, well, you know, the, the only one I really know is, of course, being a Leeds fan, you can say that because look at their squad. Marcelo Bielsa gets criticised for not having a plan B, right? But he sticks with plan A, plan A every single week, all the way through training, all the way through every level of the club from the, um, you know, under 11s all the way to the first team. They play the same game. And lo and behold, consistency works in the end. Because everybody knows what everybody's supposed to be doing. And if you move from one job to the next, you've got the same gig again. And it just makes it a lot easier. And that consistency is a big thing. Go changing stuff, changing your backroom staff, changing players, changing managers. It's not going to give you a... You're just starting again. So you've got to build it all up again. Uh, and, and yeah, and I think as well, Everton fans don't believe that they are a club that are capable of competing at the very top. I don't think they believe it. They've got the money. They've got an owner that can put the money in, get you a world-class manager like uh, like Ancelotti, but they just sort of don't seem to believe it. And they should believe it because they've got the resources there and they're going to have a swanky new stadium very soon. And um, and they can do it. I think, you know, accepting that mediocrity is, is maybe part of their problem. Do you know that there was four managers who left their job on the same day? by the way, um, on the 23rd of May, Conte left Inter, uh, Nuno Santo left Wolves, Benitez left his team that I can't pronounce in China, uh, Dalian. <laughs> you're fine. Uh, anyway. uh, and uh, that's it. Yeah, that's the one. 
and uh, and Sam Allardyce, of course, left West Brom, <laughs> which leaves that means that there's there's four uh, five, five five jobs now going, and uh, and 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 four managers there uh, ready to do that merry-go-round. So who's going to end up where? I'm going Allardyce to Inter. Big surprise. Um, but, uh, <laughs> hey, Roy but, Hodgson's uh, yeah, out of a job as well. Santa, they love him in Inter. Oh yeah, they but, love him there. Oh yeah, there's there's oh Ray, yeah, he was a legend. Roy right? Hodgson's a flight risk. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be coming in too many transatlantic flights in uh, at seventy nine years <laughs> of age or whatever. That's he is. the thing. But, the, the, Roy, uh, Roy Hodgson's life is is going to be portrayed in a movie by that guy out of Snatch. You know the the the, the, the East End guy. <laughs> Right, son, I'm gonna do you over. Who, Jason Statham? That's uh, no, yeah, <laughs> not him. Uh, that, that's that's uh, that's the son of Roy. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it, incredible. Yeah, he was a legend, isn't he, Roy? Um, in, in various places, particularly in, oh, in Milan. Who um, What was I gonna say then? You've, you've put me off with that random uh, snatch reference. Yeah, there. No, it just because all to I can me. think of uh, all I can think of now is uh, Brad Pitt going, "Do you like dogs?" <laughs> <laughs> you son. You want to get on a bench? Uh, <laughs> oh, do you think are you thinking of Bricktop? Yes, that's him. Bricktop. Yeah, he's yeah, like the, Bricktop he's like the, the gangster is, who's older uh, than he's the like role the head. Of, uh, yeah, yeah, he's, of, of, of it's called Bricktop. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. Well, there you go. Anyone listening to this going, what the hell are these three talking about? Um, just Google <laughs> Google Bricktop, um, and you'll see what I mean. And then also uh, Google his quotes or watch some watch some clips because he, he's a hilarious character. And I can't really repeat them without Niall using the. Uh, the the bleep button about thirteen times in this next uh, coming minutes, but we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where. Um, we'll see where Carlo Ancelotti ends up in a year's time when when Madrid get bored of him. But moving on to who's going to take over from from Everton? Because as as Ian mentioned there, Niall, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of guys out of work. There's a there's a big old queue at the Dole uh, office right now. Um, we think of Nuno Santo, uh, Eddie Howe, Rafa Benitez, Big Sam returning. Um, who who's best positioned for it in in your opinion? Do you think? Um, I think from what I've read, and my cousin's a big Everton fan, so uh, he was pretty gutted about it yesterday. He uh, he thinks that Eddie Howe would be a good shout for Everton. I don't know whether that would be or not, but I, from what I've read as well, I think those at Everton, Marcel Brands is obviously the sporting director, and then there's Fahad Mashiri, who's the kind of owner of the club. I think they're quite keen on Eddie Howe as well. We've spoken as well on this podcast that Eddie Howe looks destined to go to Celtic. That's taken a long, long time to get over the line, so maybe he was just kind uh, of biding his if time. If something takes that long with him going to Celtic, there's if, no if way. it takes yeah. that long, then no. No, you, you don't have to sell Celtic if you're interested. You're interested. I think that's yeah. uh, that's just dragging on, isn't it? Dead in the water, I think. Yeah, which makes me think that maybe he could be a contender for some of these other jobs. Now, Nuno Espirito Santo, I think, is in talks with Crystal Palace, believe it or not, overtaking their manager's job. They've been in talks for three or four days with Nuno Espirito Santo, but now the Everton jobs come up. Maybe that might be a more attractive prospect. It's really difficult because I think that now that Everton have had Carlo Ancelotti I think that now that makes them a more attractive proposition to other managers so that is an interesting thing maybe they can attract a higher caliber of manager just now purely because they have got or had Carlo Ancelotti Um, but Tottenham are a bigger club than Everton and Tottenham have also got no manager so I think that if you're talking about Who there's another ever... one Pochettino's apparently told PSG he wants to quit there, <laughs> so... there we go I mean there's there's loads of moving and shaking Mental going on this summer it's crazy but you know Tottenham need a manager as well so I just wonder whether is it going to be kind of a, a, a situation where Everton lose out on who they truly want because they end up going to Tottenham if they do truly want a world class manager because Carlo Ancelotti is that there's no doubt about it um, and you know look at the players he's managed to attract to Everton Players like Alan and James Rodriguez, who probably wouldn't have turned up to Goodison Park if it wasn't for the manager. Um, they're under contract, obviously. So in terms of their futures, I suppose it would take a, a bid from another club to actually take them off of Everton's hands. But it feels like of what has been you know, a, a project which has began to build um, and obviously the new stadium on the horizon as well. It feels like a huge, 
huge piece of the puzzle has been pulled out now that Carlo Ancelotti has decided to leave. You can't really blame him because, as we said before, Real Madrid is, is a great club and it's an attractive club no matter what the situation they're in. But in terms of a replacement for Ancelotti, it's hard to tell. I mean, has Eddie Howe done enough at Bournemouth to convince Everton fans that he's the right man for the job? But then again, they did take a punt on Marco Silva, who got relegated twice. So who knows? Um, I, I don't know really is the answer. It feels like a really difficult one for Everton to try and crack. And I've not really seen any suggestions from any Everton fans over who they truly want. So it's a bit of a tough one, that. Do you think, Ian... <laughs> Thinking of Everton and, and big names and experienced managers in a similar style of profile to Carlo Ancelotti, do you think any of them would put the the history aside to to talk about Rafa Benitez as the new manager? Because all I'm thinking of is Benitez is desperate to work in England again. He, he, he said that openly. His kids are over here. He's based in uh, in Liverpool. I think his kids... Um, He's still got a gaff there, yeah. isn't he, Marley? Still got a place. Yeah, he has, yeah. So um, that all seems to fit. But could he? Could he? And could Everton sort of put the past in the past and uh, and take over the other side of uh, of Merseyside? Do you think, Ian? It would be controversial, wouldn't it? Because he's got a great um, sort of legacy, if you like, at Liverpool, and and you wouldn't want to to torch that unnecessarily. It, it, clearly, it's a good job, um, and and as you say, it would probably fit with uh, with with his uh, you know his lifestyle and, and and where he's living, and he wouldn't be the only one to to cross Stanley Park. There's there's been a few that have done it, um, and I'm just scrabbling around to try and get some names. So feel free to edit this bit. I've got some. I've got some. Got some. Right. Um, some players that have played both sides uh, of, of 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 the of the park include, I mean, Peter Beardsley. I mean, surely you don't get uh, anybody who's a, a bigger Liverpool legend than Peter Beardsley to also play for Everton. Steve McMahon did it. Uh, Sander Vestervelt's done it. Um, Abel Xavier, yeah, Abel did Xavier, it? yeah. Uh, Razor Ruddock, I think, didn't he? Did, did he play for both, or am I making that up? <laughs> Um, uh, it was certainly on celebrity. It was certainly on Celebrity Big Brother. I know that much. So, um, so yeah, it wouldn't be the first. There, there are there are many people who have played for for both sides. So why not manage them as well? Um, it would be controversial in the eyes of some, but you could say that about anything. You know, what if you went to Man United, for example? What if you went to 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 any other club that, that are a rival of of Liverpool? Why why is it such a massive deal to to be? Um, to be manager of Everton after so long, it's not like he's ditched Liverpool to go to Everton. I think that would be more of a of a of a needle. But there's been a lot of water under the bridge since he was involved at Liverpool now, and um, yeah, why not? Why not? If the conditions are right, I'm sure anybody who is a football fan uh, rem- will remember the the greatness he's he brought to Liverpool in that time, and uh, would like to see him do well. You know, is uh, yeah. would the fans would the fans take him though? I mean, this is the well, thing. I mean, he, he'd yeah. take the job, I'm sure, because like you say, it's it's one of those things where it's water under the bridge. He won them the Champions League, let's not forget. And there will be a laughing stock, the Everton fans. They'll be getting, do- they get dogs abuse anyway from their red neighbours, but they will get so much abuse. Oh, you're, <laughs> you know, you've got our washed up dregs of a manager who's done nothing for the last X amount of years. Sorry, Marley, you did a good job in Newcastle, I know, but this is what the, <laughs> Liv- this is what the Liverpool fans would be saying. I just wonder whether the Everton fans would be up for getting that sort of stick. Well, it depends if he then goes there and wins something or gets them into Europe or into the Champions League or whatever. Then then that arg- argument's cancelled out, isn't it? Um, I suppose it depends how he does. But there's great resources. And you look down at the at the teams in the Premier League that are available to, to be managed at the moment. You're talking about Crystal Palace, for example. Surely Everton is, is streets ahead of, of being the manager of Crystal Palace in the scheme of things. They're a team that have always been in the Premier League, never been relegated, never really fought it. Uh, you know, they've, they've been an ever-present, fantastic uh, history, and, um, and and why not be the man to make them uh, make them great again? As I say, they've got this new stadium that's going to be on the way in a few years and all that, um, and it could be a good time to, to be getting in there and uh, and leading this, this new charge for the new Everton, potentially. Um, but yeah, uh, th- there will be always be question marks. Um, but you could say that for any club. You know, if if he went to any club, there'd be somebody to have a problem with it. There's always somebody that's moaning. 
That's life. Very true. Uh, <laughs> I can see it now. Rafa comes in and he brings a little blue cap and he has make Everton great again on the uh, on the peak of it. So <laughs> I tell you what, can you imagine? Can you imagine if he went to Everton and he was like uh, his first signing was Felipe Coutinho? <laughs> Just, uh, just really say what if you're going to go to Everton, double down on it and take their uh, take Liverpool's former best player as well. So and Torres. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, apparently he's coming back to football, Fernando Torres. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, even though he's absolutely ripped now, you should see the bloody size of him. He looks like a, a former gladiator, like the world's prettiest gladiator. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll leave that there before this one becomes a Fernando Torres loving. Um, right, we'll wrap this up for for. This, uh, the second part of today's Football Social Daily. We'll see where everyone ends up in the coming weeks. We'll be back on Friday um, for another podcast where we'll maybe have more on the managerial merry-go-round. There's still vacancies at Crystal Palace, Wolves, possibly PSG, Tottenham maybe on Friday. They might have appointed someone. Who bloody knows? I can't keep up with it anymore. Um, but we'll leave that for there and we'll move on to part three. After the break, we'll be back talking about England again. Um, talking about their game against Austria tonight in the one of the final European Championship warm-up games against Austria. So join us after this. Welcome back to the third and final part of Football Social Daily. It's Wednesday and we're looking forward to an England game tonight. I, I Honestly, I, I didn't even know it was Wednesday today. I well thought it was Tuesday thanks to the uh, the bank holiday. The season ended a week ago, Marley, and we're already talking about oh, England games. It's been seven days. I know. I am proverbially on the beach um, and, yeah, I completely forgot England were playing tonight. But they are. Um, they're playing Austria in... Middlesbrough, of all places, Middlesbrough. Um, yeah, so random one. But yeah, they, they should see some nice football for once because Middlesbrough haven't had some decent stuff to watch for years. Um, but yeah, Eng- Newcastle bias coming in there. Um, England versus Austria. Don't forget, guys, as well, this is um, an, a Euros warm-up. But when the tournament starts on July the 11th. The first game for England is July the 13th. And if you fancy having a flutter on any England game during the Euros, our friends over at Boyle Sports are offering you a £10 no-lose bet on all games featuring the three Lions. So basically, you can put your £10 bet on any uh, market on the England game. And if it loses, your bet will be refunded via uh, a free bet. So you'll have a £10 free bet sitting in your account if you do what I do and always back something that manages to lose. Um, find out more via the Boyle Sports app or visit boilsports.com. T's and C's apply, 18 plus, bet responsibly and begambleaware.org. But looking forward to tonight, we've mentioned before, guys, that um, the seven have been cut from the squad. However, Southgate was then asked about Jesse Lingard and he said, well, well actually, he's, uh, he's sticking around and he'll, uh, he'll probably start tonight. <laughs> so, Ian... It's... <laughs> I know this this is because the Champions League and Europa League players haven't quite um joined up with the squad yet. However, does this all seem a bit pointless if if we're not using the squad with what it is, you know, the, the 26 men aren't going to be all involved. So is is this all a bit of a a damp squib? Well, I suppose when when the when the fixture was put together, they didn't realise that that two teams were going to get to the Champions League and Europa League finals. Um, so I think that's probably the thing in 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 to give them their due. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the 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 Man City and um, and and the Man uh, sorry the Man City and the Chelsea players are, are, are going to be late, and I think a few of the Man United ones maybe as well. Um, so it will be interesting. From reading the the articles in the press about this game, it seems that we can expect a bit of a hybrid team. Really, the the, the players that have had a bit of rest um, a lot uh, and and haven't been involved in those games that that are likely to be in that opening match against Croatia in the Euros possibly will be starting the match tonight and then the gaps filled in by a few others who were uh, who are uh, willing and able like Jesse Lingard to to take the the other spots um and then it looks like we might get second half appearances from the likes of uh, of Henderson and uh, and Grealish and people like that who are building up their fitness again so i'm not sure we're going to learn a great deal from the squad selection tonight but as, as I say, I think the system could be the bigger thing because clearly that's something that they will have been working on. That is something that's going to be uh, probably 
a constant regardless of who's playing because we've seen that Gareth Southgate's picked quite versatile players to to switch positions. Um, so we'll we'll be interesting to see what the lineup is and 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 also, but I, th- I think more importantly, that have a look at the system that's being played because that will give you some clues as to where we're going to be come uh, come the reckoning and when the, when the tournament actually does begin. More than the lineup tonight. Well, you mentioned the the weird lineup, Niall. Um, do you think this will be a, a fully sort of experimental eleven, or do you think he'll go as strong as he possibly can and and like Ian said, you know, fill in the fill in the blanks type of thing with with players that aren't quite aren't quite gonna make the trip to well make the trip to England, get on the train and go to London or whatever it is. Well, firstly, Austria aren't that bad aside. Uh, they're 13th in the UEFA coefficient ranking, which is only one spot below the Netherlands and two below Croatia. And I know it's all a bit wishy-washy with how it's all done. For instance, Iceland are technically better than Croatia and the Netherlands, according to the rankings. But still, what? Austria will be Where a decent... Where Iceland? Iceland are 10th. Oh, Jesus, um, wept. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so actually, they're a, they're a decent outfit, Austria. So let's not be fooled by the fact that England should beat them. And England should beat them, even with a second string side. But I don't think it'll be as be as easy. It's always difficult before a tournament, isn't it? Especially a big tournament on home soil, uh, like a portion of this Euro 2020 is. Um, in terms of players and, and not getting them injured and, and stuff like that. So we know that, as we've discussed before, there are a handful of players that are injured at the moment that won't feature. I think Harry Maguire is said to be touch and go for the first game of the tournament, which is... 11 days time from now so he's not got a great deal of time to recover from that ankle injury he was only in a boot a couple of weeks ago so those players who are pretty much 50 50 i'm sure won't be risked for this game and that's the benefit of having those extra seven players that have been cut sticking around those players will be able to fill in the gaps i don't think we'll see a super strong team tonight i think we'll see a few faces who are fit enough to to play playing but also you have to consider the risk of injury with just two warm-up games before the start of the tournament, the last thing you want is a player picking up a serious injury and missing the entire tournament. That would be an absolute disaster, particularly if someone as important as like Harry Kane, for example. We know how fragile he can be at times. So if he picks up an injury going into the Euros, everyone's going to be absolutely devastated and that causes a serious problem for Gareth Southgate moving forward. So I do think that that is always going to be in the back of the manager's mind. I also think that like what you said, Marley, what's the point of having these warm-up games if you aren't going to try and play the way that you're going to play in the tournament? Aren't you trying to play yourself into form? So it's, it's a difficult one, really. Um, and I don't envy Southgate. These are always horrible moments. I mean, to be honest, I think if I was a manager, I'd rather just go straight into the tournament and not have any warm-up games. Because I, I just think the warm-up games kind of gives you anxiety and you're worrying about whether your players are going to be injured or not. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think this will be a difficult game for England. I wouldn't be surprised if England don't win it. Um, if there's a draw or something like that, they, I, I'm not, I don't think they'll lose. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if Austria pull out a decent result, to be fair to them. They've got some good players and, yeah, it's, it's hard to know what sort of system or lineup Southgate's going to go with. But I'm sure he'll have the fact that with only a couple of games and 10 days until the tournament starts, the last thing you want is someone picking up even a small knock because that 10 days will erode very quickly and... You know, you don't want to deplete your chances of winning the opening game against Croatia. Yeah, well, you mentioned Croatia next uh, Sunday. Uh, we've got Romania this Sunday. Um, we'll see what we uh, what we end up doing. Um, and I don't know who's going to end up playing those games, but we'll see if uh, players can get fit and get involved. Um, we'll see if as well when the Europa League and Champions League winning and contributing players will actually turn up. Because I thought, was it not worth you know, pushing pushing it back until you get some of them with a twenty six man squad. Could you could you play with uh, you know half a squad on the Thursday or whatever, and then play the other thirteen on the Sunday, for example? But the way it's worked out, we'll see what England do tonight. But uh, if you do want to look at uh, Austria and you you're wondering what to expect from Austria, uh, go to the podcast website, the Sport Social Podcast Network website that we've got. It's linked to the sportsocial.co.uk website. Uh, You can find it through there because on Gavin Hamilton's Euros road trip, he looks at every single country competing in this summer's European Championships. Um, And the Austria chat is with uh, a journalist called Tom Midler, 
who looks at everything to do with what Austria will bring to the table. Um, let's talk about the, the players we know, like David Alibar and uh, players like that. And there's also something on uh, Marco Arnautovic, who's been in Holland. Been in Holland? No, he's not been in Holland. He's been in China for the last few years, and whether that will affect him um, and his sort of sharpness and his importance to the Austrian team. But maybe we'll see him tonight as well, and we can have a good look at Austria and see what they bring to the to the table in the Euros when they kick off. Um, but as for England, um, we'll I've, we've sort of touched on this before, so we'll we'll do it. We'll do it kind of quick. Niall, yes or no? Do we play a back three in the in the warm-ups and the tournament, or do we think we'll go back to a 4-3-3? I think it'll be 4-3-3. 4-3-3. Ian, do you think, do you agree, or do you think we're going to mess about with a hybrid back three weird system and seven right-backs up the right-hand side? Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be a back three tonight. Uh, maybe this is the experiment, uh, if there is going to be one, um, but I can see it reverting back to the, the good old-fashioned 4-3-3. Not quite the 4-4-2 of, uh, of, of Big Sam, but then again, Big Sam's not in charge, and probably for that reason. But, um, but yeah, I, I think I think I think there might be an experiment tonight. But as we get closer, if they are going to mess about with stuff, it's going to be tonight. Um, I think get I think Leeds play four three three, don't they? Uh, Leeds play four, yeah, kind of. Please, Leeds with with Calvin Phillips, yeah, deep it's a diamond sort of thing. In the yeah, Leeds play like four four one four one or something. Right. Like Liverpool that. play four three three with Henderson yeah. in the middle. And I'm just thinking with the midfielders that England have chosen, the only team that doesn't is that plays three at the back is West Ham with wing backs, and then Declan Rice is the only other other midfielder. So, yeah, I think if Phillips starts, it's a four-three-three. If Rice starts, it's a three at the back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at the the fixtures though for Euro 2020. I need the I need the wall planner out of the newspaper. That's what I'm lacking because I haven't really got oh, that yeah. full sense of that full sense yeah. of the, the blue tack your pencil it. underneath it. Ian. Yeah, the the, route, the the road to the final because if England if England do well in this historically you look back it, either either you've got to be a blinding team or it's got to be a home tournament yeah. to get a win. The finals at Wembley, and, so it's such a big opportunity. Well, the, 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 all three is, England's group games are as well. Yeah, well, England's entire apart from one match, England could go through this entire tournament playing at Wembley. Um, so the group games are at Wembley. The next round, if they win their group. The Group D winner. It's quite is, far away, uh, isn't it? It's at Wembley. Um, the, and, one of the knockout then, games, isn't it? In Baku or something like that. Um, it depends where they finish. Right. If you if they're a runner-up, then then yes, I think that is a possibility. Or Bucharest or somewhere like that. Yeah. Um, but if the, if England win the, the win the group, then the furthest they're going to have to go is one match at the Olympic Stadium in Rome, um, and and then beyond that, everything's going to be at Wembley. So the, the, there's only the one game. If they win the the group, which is the big question, they could go through the entire tournament uh, with only one away match. Um, you obviously, you don't want to meet Italy at the Olympic Stadium in Rome. No. Uh, that wouldn't be great. <laughs> no. But uh, but the rest were, you know, it's pretty much a home tie. So if they're going to do it, it's coming home. Get the Deal and Skinner <laughs> CD wiped down. Away we go. Marley's ordered what... fifteen car flags off of Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I used to do a, a, a sports phoning with uh, with Emily Hughes, and um, of course, a former England captain. And it was the World Cup, what, what World Cup two thousand and two maybe, or or the Euros in two thousand and four. Anyway, he rocked up in his car, and honestly, his car was covered in these England flags when they were all the rage out of his window. And I'm just like the amount, the amount of extra fuel he must have burnt dragging these these flags down the M1 from Sheffield must have been incredible. But, Literally uh, the worst right bit there. of football merchandising of all time, <laughs> and the Vuvuzela. Yeah. Oh god! As long as we have another tournament without a Vuvuzela, we can't ask for any more. Um, what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to tailor my sunburn, so I'm going to have white arms and a red body. So I'm going to have a red, <laughs> big red cross on my body where where I've just managed to get sunburn, um, and that'll be me. I'll just be a walking, talking England flag for the next three <laughs> weeks. But uh, yeah, we'll leave it there. This is uh, been Wednesday's Football Social Daily. Um, don't forget, we'll be back on Friday um, to look. At whatever the hell's going on in the football world we'll probably have eight new managers and England will have three players out with broken legs or something after the game tonight <laughs> um, but we'll see what's happening on Friday that'll do us for Wednesday um, get out, enjoy the sun um, while it's here because it's going away rapidly it'll going to be poured down for the entire Euros I bet you um, but yeah, thank you Ian and thank you Niall for joining me on today's podcast Cheers, Marley, thanks mate Cheers 
And we'll see you on Friday. Don't forget to check out us on sportsocial.co.uk. Also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, anything else you can think of that we haven't got and uh, get us on there as well. So, yeah, join us again on Friday. See you then.